Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? I sound like I'm from the South. Well, Southern California, how are you all doing? And online, glad that you're with us. Uh, before we get going, I want to lead us in one more prayer, uh, just kind of as a church family, a couple of things that I want us to be aware of and, and praying for. One is Matthew and Judy Dalton right over here. Wave at us. Matthew and Judy are headed back to South Asia on Saturday. So uh, this is their last Sunday with us for a while, and they're going back to ministry there, and we want to support and pray for them. And then after the service, you want to be sure to mob them as much as possible and generally make them feel welcome or uncomfortable, whichever it is. Um, and, and we want to be praying for them. Also, you are, many of you probably aware, but if not, let me bring you up to speed. Pastor Craig's mother uh, passed away this last week. So he is up in Portland. Family is heading up to Portland. And I'm grateful to Nate and the team because actually Craig was going to lead both last week and this week, and Nate has just stepped in in a marvelous way. But we want to pray for Craig and his family. And, uh, of course, we want to pray that God will meet us as we dive into the Word. So if you'd join me, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we need you every hour. We've, we've sung that. And that's uh, more true than we could ever even fully understand. And we need you in this hour. We need you in this hour for our time in your word. We need you to speak and to work and to transform and to challenge and to encourage. We need you, Lord, to accomplish what it is that you want this morning. We've each come with what we think might happen or should happen or could happen, but you're the Lord, and we ask that you would do your great work. Uh, We need you, Lord, to be a source of strength and encouragement for Matthew and Judy as they head back to South Asia. Thank you that you have allowed this time to be restorative and uh, healing. Uh, Pray that you would continue to protect their health, that you would continue to open the door in front of them for ministry, that as they go to a place that is not easy, um, your presence would be obvious and your power would be active. Lord, people need to know you. Whatever their background and culture and setting, people need you. And so as Matthew and Judy go to be faithful in partnering with you, I just pray that you would bless their steps and show them the fruit of their labors. And may you be glorified. And may they know your care and your love. Bring them often to our minds so that we can pray for them. Uh, Lord, as we um, think about Craig and his family, um, it's, it's always a joyful time to think of family who have gone to be with you, and it's a painful time too. We're so grateful that Beverly is with you, that she knows you, that she is no longer plagued by things that have been so challenging. But Lord, I know this is a hard thing. So I pray for Craig and for Lisa and for Emily and for Nathan and for their whole family. I pray for Ron. I just pray for everyone that you would give them your mercy and that your presence and your comfort would be Um, just this defining experience in this moment. Lord, we ask for your presence to be our defining experience as well. And so we just open ourselves to you and uh, invite you to speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read some verses. If you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open to Colossians? Uh, We're going to look at chapter 1 briefly, and mostly we're going to be in chapter 2, but Colossians 1 and 2, if you want to open there. Um, The verses actually are fairly familiar. 
As I walk up, I almost always come up this side here uh, onto the platform, and um, some of you may have been around long enough to know that 20 whatever years ago, we remodeled and rebuilt this whole platform, and when that was being done, I wrote some verses on those steps as kind of a, a reminder and as a, if you will, a, a constant prayer to say, God, as I, as I come up here, may this be true in the ministry of this church, this family, this place, and in, in my ministry in particular. And uh, two of the verses that are written there that I just walked on coming up here are Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So uh, if you'd read those with me, it says, of Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's one of the defining verses that we want to see be true of our lives and our ministry is that we would see God's powerful work among us and as we have opportunity to minister to one another, we would be proclaiming him and that all of our hard work, which we are as followers of Jesus to work hard, uh, would be empowered by his great power because our hard work doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything if he doesn't show up. And in fact, those two verses actually only work because of what it says just prior to that. The end of verse 27 says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are able to be transformed. We're able to experience what God intends for us. We're able to grow in holiness. We're able to grow in character. We're able to be different kinds of people. We're able to be the best of ourselves that we can be and that we ought to be. We're able to engage in things of eternal value. We're able to have a a perspective in life that is lasting, that matters because of Jesus because our union with him, because he is in us and we are in him, and from that very reality flows everything. Transformation takes place because of that. A little bit further on, and these are the verses we're going to really focus on a little bit more. Chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, And established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're really going to focus in there. And what we want to look at this morning is the dynamic of transformation that takes place and how we partner in that, right? We're in a series following the master. And the idea is, what's he doing and how do we get in on that? And and this section that we're looking at now is he's creating a new me. He's creating a new me, and this morning in particular, we want to focus on the idea that he is transforming me in Christ. That's what he's doing. So on my part, I choose to partner. He's transforming me in Christ, so I choose to partner. This passage will help us to unpack that a little bit more uh, concretely even though in in many ways it's kind of an abstract reality we're dealing with, it's going to get us as concrete as we can. And the idea is Christ in us, the hope of glory, that's where transformation takes place. And so we want to look at how transformation is going in our lives and, and what's next. I don't know when was the last time you thought about your testimony, if you will, and, and the work of Christ in any kind of um, grand view 
Um, but I was thinking about my own story and the story of other people this week. In fact, I reached out to two of my nephews that I have been able to be in dialogue with for now decades. Don't, don't think of them as nephews. Um, the younger one's 47, right? They have kids, and, you know, they're, they're well-established guys. But I've walked with these guys for decades, and I've watched their journey and seen their stories. And I said, hey, would it be okay if I share a little bit of your story? I'm going to share a little bit of my story as we talk about the story of God transforming us and then try to unpack, then how do we, how do we cooperate with that further? All right, so one of my nephews, um, he came to faith a few years ago in his 40s. Right, and he came to faith. He 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 has a, a background that probably a lot of people um, have thought of. Some people have experienced. It's really kind of rough. A lot of rough things happened, and he made rough choices. And some of his choices got um, legal things involved. Some of his choices involved substances. Some of his choices created real um, devastation in his family. Right, he, he he's walked one of those kinds of journeys. Now he's he's. He's participated in the world. He's actually an entrepreneur. He's done very well. A lot of things about his life we would look at externally and say, wow, that's really good. But at the heart of it, things were coming apart. And a few years ago, he reached out to me. I had shared with him many times. He's my nephew. We talk. We love each other. We interact. And he would listen. But at some point, he would, he would shut it down because he just wasn't interested in God. He wasn't interested in Jesus. He believed in God, but that's there, I'm here, I'm fine. And then Easter, no, it was uh, Palm Sunday and several years ago, I got a phone call that evening and it was my nephew on the other end and he was very broken up and he just said, his life was really coming apart and he said, Uncle Robert, would you tell me about your Jesus? And that started this whole series of conversations that have gone on now for years where he's in a different area of the country, so we communicate by telephone. We see each other when we can, but it's been this ongoing reality. Along the way, he's come to faith. Along the way, everything has shifted. It's interesting when you have had a life that is kind of rough at times, sometimes those closest to you are the slowest to say, did something really happen? And, and it did. It did. It took a while for everyone to go, yes, he's a totally different man. I can see how God is totally transforming him and how God is, is totally changing him. In fact, when Amanda, my older daughter, moved back from Africa um, this summer because she's now up at the University of Washington working on a master's degree, and uh, she was in the home for a number of weeks, and she saw this rhythm going on, and she shook her head one day after we'd been on the phone, and she said, I'm still trying to get my head around the miracle that's happened there. This is her cousin. She's known for decades. She loves him. She knows him, but something radical happened. The radical thing is Jesus, right? If, you, if, if he were here, he would tell you, it's Jesus. It's knowing Jesus as being in relationship with Jesus that's changed everything. We didn't get to have our meeting yesterday. We were planning it, and then he texted me at the last minute and said, oh, I forgot, I'm sorry, I'm with my daughter at a church thing. It's like, that is not the way my nephew was years ago, but his life really centers on what is God doing and what does God have for me. I uh, talked to another nephew who's uh, got five kids, and I was expecting him to talk me through the kids, right? Uh, they're, they're, don't think of them like this either. Three of them are adults. One's getting married soon. So we're just checking in. How are your kids doing? And he, he walks me through them. But as he's walking me through them, everything he's talking about is about their spiritual lives. The, the, the grid he's thinking about 
for them and for him is their spiritual life. Now, you have to understand, this nephew also had hard things happen, also made hard choices, also had substance issues, also had legal issues, also had family trauma that was really challenging. All of the same kind of scenario, he came to faith actually a couple of decades ago, and then his life has kind of gone up and down depending on how he was walking with Jesus, and he's been in this series of faithful walking with Jesus, and it was such an encouragement to hear him just talk about his family, and then when I asked how he and his wife are doing, he said, you know, we're just, we're just trying to live in the will of God. That's what's shaping their lives. Nothing, nothing like, you know, religious fancy talk or I'm trying to show off. We're just, you know, both these nephews, by the way, are, they're, they're, they have the personality of a sledgehammer, right? If they think something, they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you straight up. They're not trying to, to, to sculpt an image or anything. They're just telling me, here's life. And life for them right now is Jesus. And it's radically transformed them. And I was just praising God. What a cool thing that is. How's your story? When was the last time you thought about your story, the journey God has had you on, and the miracles that you've seen? My daughter said, I can't get my head around the miracle. It is a miracle. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your life's a miracle too. So is mine. I was thinking about my own, and I've shared some of my testimony before. If you're newer, maybe you aren't aware of some things. But, um, you know, I, I accepted Christ very young. So it's not like I had this horrible series of choices that show up in my life. It's more the trajectory of my life that I could see what would have been based on who I was, just kind of innately, and what's become based on what God has, has shaped and drawn out of me in, in all kinds of ways, things that are just allowing me to be fruitful for him and enjoy him and, and be part of his family in meaningful ways. Um, some of you know I'm a terribly painful introvert and very, very shy by nature. And then I get to stand up here every week and talk to all kinds of people. That's, you know, most people don't actually like talking to people. A number of years ago, I read, I read a statistic that said the number one fear Americans have is, is speaking in front of an audience. And I thought, I'll see how, if that's been updated. And so right before the pandemic... Chapman University did a major study, and uh, here's the things Americans fear. I'll just give you the top five, right? Number five, are we fear blood and needles. Number four, we fear drowning. Number three, we fear critters, right? All kinds of critters, bugs, snakes, animals, whatever. Number two, we fear heights. And the number one fear, still far ahead of everything else, still the same thing, speaking in front of public. Doesn't God have a sense of humor saying, I made you incredibly introverted. You're also backwards and awkward and shy. So let me put you up in front of people all the time and let you talk. Because by the way, everyone else hates talking too. So just because it's hard for you doesn't mean you get off the hook. And I, by the way, interesting. Here's a couple of other interesting things. These are new, at least to my understanding. Do you know what our number 11 fear in the country is? It's the fear of clowns. And number 12 is the fear of ghosts. So, and, and this is such a thorough study, they correlated it with our politics. So here you go. This is really important to know. If you are a Democrat, you are twice as likely to be afraid of clowns as if you're a Republican. <laughs> Did you know that? I have no idea what that means. 
And I suspect there's actually a cautionary tale in there to say, be careful how you use statistics, because I don't think it actually means anything. By the way, Republicans, Democrats, we fear ghosts about the same. Right? So fear of talking in public is a big thing, and yet that's what God has me do, even though I'm this very shy person by nature. As I was reflecting on my story, that's something God has grown in me because it was necessary for his calling in my life, and then he empowered and enabled me to do that, and then he grew me. Every once in a while, I still get surprised kind of out of left field by being shy. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? That's still in there somewhere, right? But there's also this work of God that has allowed me to be and do things differently because there's a greater purpose that I'm keyed into. I also learned, and this was actually disturbing to me as I reflected on my story, I I never realized this, but it would be true that I am a quitter. I didn't realize that. I look back on things in my past, in my childhood, and, and different times when I wasn't keyed into what God was calling me to do, and it got hard and I quit, and it got hard and I quit, I got hard and I quit, right? I, I, I liked music, that was too hard, I quit. Sorry, that's why, that's one of about a million reasons why I'm nothing like Nate and Alice over there. Uh, sports, I love sports, and I had a Pop Warner coach who was mean, and I quit, and I didn't do sports for years because of that. Ironically, he said I was his most, most coachable player. He told that to my dad. I must have been doing something right. I was actually fairly skilled, but I quit because it was hard. School always came easily to me until I went to the University of Arizona and studied astronomy, and that was not easy. So I quit. I walked away from a full-ride scholarship because it was hard. So I gave up on a lifelong dream because it was hard. Now, God used all those things, right? And God has grown some things. Like the scriptures filled with statements about endurance, faithfulness, I don't think anyone that knows me well at all would have even remotely used the label a quitter on me today. In fact, some people have said, you ought to quit a little sooner. (laughs) Some of you will be saying that before the end of the sermon, perhaps. (laughs) I'll do my best to quit. Right? It's amazing. And, And what I do is actually hard. This is, this is actually a hard job. There are some jobs that are hard and there's some jobs that aren't and this one's one that's really hard. I woke up this morning thinking about, oh man, here's all the things that I'm doing that are messed up. I need to work on this. I did, but I was already awake. I was already awake, already processing how hard I need to do this, I need to do that. There was a time in my life where that would have backed me up. Now, by God's grace, there's a change, right? That's part of my story. You have a story too. It may be nothing like mine. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, there's a transformation that is taking place that is fundamental, that is addressing every aspect of your life. It's dealing with your morality. It's dealing with your passion. It's dealing with your vision. It's dealing with your purpose. It's dealing with your character. It's dealing with your personality. And he's he's not squashing you. He's unleashing you to be what he intends for his glory and for your good because his spirit is working in you. That's a miracle. When was the last time you looked at your miracle and just said, wow, thank you, God. 
When was the last time you keyed into that reality and said, thank you, God, now what? That's what we have to take with us as we look at this passage. Because this passage is about being transformed in Christ and continuing in that. Let's read it again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Right? You received Him as Lord, now here's the command, walk in Him. But before we jump to that command, let me say one more thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure about your story or the kind of miraculous elements to it, right? Maybe you don't have that because you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus, not a transformative, life-changing, defining relationship. Nobody who's a follower of Jesus has it all together. Nobody who's a follower of Jesus is perfect. Nobody who's a follower of Jesus is better in the senses that we tend to use those words, but there is something radically different at the core because we're in connection with Christ and His Spirit is working in us. And if you don't see that in your life, maybe that's the place to start. God has miracles that He wants to work in you. He wants to take you who you are and transform you to be what He intends for you to be, which will look everything like you and nothing like you, which will not squash anything about you other than what is sinful, and yet at the same time will bring out all kinds of things you never knew were there. It will stretch you. It will take you into things that you would now consider hard, but He's going to equip you for that. He's going to do all kinds of things in your life, but that comes in relationship. One of the things that I find as I interact with people, it's not a perfect litmus test, and I, I wouldn't want one because I don't want to try to judge like that, but I do try to discern. And as I'm interacting with people and trying to un uncover where they are in their journey, how much religious language do they use versus relationship language, right? How much is it about here's what we do, and here's the moral code, and here's the practices, and how much of it is here's who Jesus is, and here's what he's doing in my life? Because fundamentally, we're not people of a belief system. We're people of a relationship. Fundamentally, we're not people of a moral code. We're people walking in union with God. There's a belief system that's really important, yes. There's a moral code that really matters, yes. But the issue is my connection, personal transformative connection with Jesus. And if that's not something you've experienced, we would love to talk to you about that because that's to be the most important thing you could take from this passage this morning. You can just reach out, email if you're online or you can make a phone call or whatever. Grab me after service if you're here. Love to talk with you. Assuming that we have that relationship, assuming that we can look back and say, I see, I see God's miraculous work in my life, and maybe right now it's really obvious, or maybe right now it's kind of buried under the dust and clutter of life, I want to bring that front and center into this next section, and I want us to read this with that in mind. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. And then he gives us four things related to that. And if you, by the way, if you want to improve your understanding of God's word, I would suggest the single most important thing you can do is tighten up your understanding, basic understanding of grammar. Because what's written here is written in a way 
to help us get what the meaning is. And uh, sometimes we look at cross-references and they have their place, or we do word studies and they have their place, but the most important thing is what's he saying, how's he saying it, what does he mean by that? Sometimes that grammar is really obvious, sometimes we have to work a little bit to ferret it out. This is kind of a mixed bag, but once you understand the grammar, you go, oh, there's something really important here. Here's what he says. I am commanding you to do something that you have no ability to do. I am commanding you to accomplish something that is outside of your control, or at least three out of four are. Here's how that works. If you look in the translation I'm using here, the ESV, the last little clause says abounding in thanksgiving. That word abounding, I-N-G, that's a participle, which means it's a wimpy verb. It's really not quite a verb, but it's trying to be a verb, and so it needs a real verb to stand around to hold it up, right? So it looks for either a statement or a command. We've got a command. So the command is going to color what abounding in thanksgiving means. It's also going to color the other three clauses that they didn't use ing in English because it would be too clunky. But here's how it would be if we're going to be even a little more precise, clunky though it may be. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been rooted in him and being built up in him and being established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving having been rooted being established I'm sorry being built up being established abounding in faith those are the four things that kind of hang off of that command so as I seek to walk in the reality of relationship here's the four things that's going to look like Three of them are actually passive. Three of them are things that I don't have control over. Somebody has to establish me the way this is described, because it doesn't say establish yourself, it says having been established. Somebody has to build me up the way this is described. It doesn't say build yourself up, it's saying be built up. Somebody has to uh, root me. I can't root myself, because it doesn't say root yourself, it says having been rooted. The one I get a get a call on, the one I get an option, the one I get to take initiative on is Thanksgiving. And we'll get to that in a minute. So these other three are actually things that God does to me. God does in me. God does for me. And yet he commands me to live in light of that. And in that dynamic, we've looked at this in other passages where it shows up, so I'll just review it really briefly. And that dynamic is one of the most important keys to living a fruitful Christian life. I, I, I don't think I could say that sentence more strongly. Um, I don't think I can overstate that. That literally is one of the most important dynamics to living a Christian life, mastering commands that I have no control over. Another, in other words, mastering being mastered. Learning to live my life as the junior partner in my life learning to live my life with God being the primary initiator, but me taking responsibility and responding. That's the dynamic he's tapping into here. He says, you've been brought into this relationship with Christ. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You have, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Continue to live that life out. And it's got these four elements to it, three of which are actually outside of your control. Having been rooted is something God did. In fact, he did it in the past. 
but he did it in the past in such a way that it continues to echo down through your life today. Being built up is this daily ongoing reality, but again, it's something God's taken the initiative in, and I'm commanding you to do that even though God's taken the initiative. Being established in what you've been taught, in the faith just as you've been taught, Again, that's something that happened to you or happens to you. It's an ongoing reality, continually be established. But I'm commanding you to do something that you actually don't directly access. That dynamic's really huge. When you come to a command of Scripture, whether this grammar is there or not, there's a response that's really important. And as I've thought about it, I think there are, there's a number of ways that we can respond. One response is when God gives me a command... Uh, a lot of times the response can be, well, I'm not so sure about that, right? I'm not so sure about that because I don't know that I like what the, you know. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's, I don't want to be junior partner in my life. I want to be senior partner. I don't want you to be Christ the Lord. I want you to be Christ the helpful advisor. I'll take it under advisement. That's a train wreck. That's where oh, so many problems come from. In fact, that's where so many people drift away. I don't doubt my doubts as much as I doubt my God. I, God, I don't, I don't think you're doing this right, or I'm not sure about this, or this doesn't feel right. Why do I think how I feel about it is more likely to be on target than the sovereign God? I need to learn to doubt my own doubting more than I doubt God. But I don't do that all the time. And so when a command comes, especially if it cuts, off the grain, it cuts across the grain of my life, then it's easy for me to say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Another response that can happen, um, I think happens fairly frequently, is I can't. I hear what you're saying. I know that's right. I just can't. Right? That's not, that's not a capitulation to say I'm not going to try as much as it is a discouragement, a disheartenment that says I tried and I can't do it. Often it comes with a lot of guilt. It's like that is too much. I know it's right. I'm just such a loser. I'm so bad. That is so unhelpful. That is not the way to respond to God's commands, even though as a general rule I can't. It is beyond me. A life partnered with God needs space for a supernatural God. And if it's something that I can contain, it has no room for him. He's always calling me to do things I can't do. What do I do next is the question. Another response that's pretty common is, I got this. Okay, that's what you say. I got it. That sounds right. It's horribly wrong. That's just a delayed train wreck waiting to happen. Because unless, unless there's more to it than I got this, I'm going to come up, to, up against the reality that I can't. And then, I, then what? Right? I don't got this. I don't got this. So the commands of Scripture come to me, and I respond in all different kinds of ways. I think the, the grammar of this passage helps us get the idea of how we should respond to every command and it's maybe not so intuitive, but I think it would be something like this. Yes, please. I need to have a yes, please heart to the commands of God. Yes, please. Yes, God, please help me. The command of God is also implicit with a request, right? The command is, you need to do this. The request is, are you ready for me to help? 
will you let me be the source of power? Will you listen to me and trust me even though it seems really tough? Every command from God has that request embedded in it, and so my response is yes, please. That's the dynamic that Paul is tapping into here. It's like, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. How cool is that? By the way, he's reacting to um, some terrible teaching that's going on that's, that's threatening to lead them all astray, and he's combating it not with more teaching but with teaching that leads to a person, right? He doesn't just say, these are bad beliefs, so here's good beliefs. He says, these are bad beliefs, here's Jesus. Dig in tight to Jesus. The beliefs matter. In fact, one of the commands he gives ties in directly with our faith that you've been taught. But it's, it's, it's moved beyond your understanding merely and, and lean into this relationship with God. You are the junior partner. And he's calling you to things that are way beyond you, and that's where the miracle happens. Yes, please. So he says, as you received him, so walk in him. First thing is rooted, or having been rooted and, and implicitly in him. The first two are in him, and then the second one's in the faith. So um, we can distribute the in him. So having been rooted in him. What are your roots? Don't lose track of those. That's why it's good to start with even just remembering my story. What's my story? What's God already done? Where's God in my life? What have I seen him accomplish? What, you know, for all of the mess and all of the stumblings of my life, the fingerprints of God are indelible. Right? If you strip everything away from your life, if your whole life was to burn down and you're left with only the essence, what is that? Is that Jesus? Can, is your life inexplicable apart from Jesus? Not, well, he plays a part. No, I'm literally not able to be understood unless you put Jesus in the center of the narrative. That's what God's doing. That's what we receive when we come into this relationship with him. And his power is at work to do this transforming work. And he's saying, God has rooted you That's something that already happened, but it has these ongoing ripples through your life. Stay true to your roots. Renew your testimony. That'd be a good thing to do periodically. Just renew your testimony. What's the story? What's God been doing? How's it going now? Where do I see him? What's next? And just key into that and say, all right, God, my life would be inexplicable without your work. Now what? So then the second thing he says is you've been rooted by God. Now I want you to um, be built up. This is an ongoing thing. Be built up. There's an idea of, of a progress of, of growing incrementally, right? Maybe you grew up in a household where they marked on the, the door jam your height over time. You were this tall. Now you're this tall. Now you're this tall. I think that's valuable um, spiritually, Sometimes we get so discouraged. Life is hard, and I'm pretty stupid. That's not really a good recipe for everything being all victory, right? Life is hard, and I'm pretty stupid. Yeah, but God's great. God is all-powerful. God is completely committed, and God is at work. Yes, there's detours, but he will accomplish. He's already said, I have predestined you to be like Jesus. 
I will get there, and I'm getting you there now. And yeah, yeah, you messed that up, and that's kind of hard to see, but it's there. One of the reasons parents do that is because when you're living with your kids, it's like, I, I don't know, they were little and now they're big, and that's, it's, it kind of sneaks up on me. What if I just backed up and said, uh, how am I growing? And looked backwards and said, where's the mark on the door jam and where is it now? I, I, I did that recently and it was so encouraging to me because I'm also struggling with things. It's like, oh Lord, I need to grow here and here and here and this is hard and la la la. It's like, but look, look at what you've done. That is so cool. There's this building up that's taking place over time. You're growing me and I want to keep stepping into that. I want to acknowledge that, and I want to, I want to keep stepping into that. I want to have an attitude of the next yes. What are you asking? Yes. Now what are you asking? Yes. Now what are you asking? Yes. That's how I cultivate the junior partner side of this. He's doing the work, and, and going back and seeing where he's done great things that I never would have thought were possible can be so encouraging and can also help me then as it's time for the next yes, because the yeses don't always come easy. So he says, um, being built up, and then finally he says, uh, being established in the faith, this true core teaching, this true reality that you've been introduced to, don't listen to the heresy that's going around, anchor yourself here just as you were taught. Right? Being established in the faith, just as you were taught. We talked already about this, but it's a good point to just keep bringing to mind. The world around us and the stuff within us is going to constantly bang us around. And there's a lot of things that God is going to say, God is going to call for, God is going to expect, God is going to demand, because he's the sovereign king, that don't make any sense. They don't feel right. That can't be right. I don't want to do that. And then I begin doubting. I begin doubting him. I begin doubting his word. I begin doubting all kinds of things. Why don't I doubt me? Why don't I doubt my doubts? He's saying, be established in the word that's already been delivered to you. Anchor well so that you can finish well. Don't let this other stuff bang you around. Anchor well so that you can finish well. Then finally, something that's actually in my control. All these things are God's doing and done, and I just need to say yes, please. And then the last one is abounding in thanksgiving, and that is a, something I choose to do. It's a choice I make, right? God is not going to write his own thank you card. He's leaving that for me. But if I'm living, if I, if I even begin to grasp what it is to have received Christ Jesus the Lord and see that hope of glory working out in me, the dynamics of having been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the dynamics of the spirit working within me, that's extraordinary. And as I see these different things along the way, it, my heart just should burst with, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We get so grumpy, right? Here's a good recipe to counter grumpiness. 
Because even though they start with the same letter, they are not even remotely related. Grumpiness does not correlate with godliness. There's actually no place for grumpiness. Jesus can call people out and be stern and still love them and die for them. I can be bold and still humble. Right? But it's easy. Things are hard. Life's not working. I don't like that person. I don't like how they're driving. I don't like the politics. I don't like whatever. I get all grumpy. And that begins to shape my day. It begins to shape my attitude. It begins to shape everything around me. And in the process, what I've done is I have gone to looking at all this stuff I don't like, and I'm missing God. Because God is actively at work, and he's doing all kinds of great things. And what I need to do if I'm going to do this is I need to train myself to see and to say. I need to train myself to see and to say, there's something God did, there's something God did, there's something God did, there's something God did, there's something God's doing right now, and then call it out and say thank you. Gratitude's a really critical part of following Jesus, but it can get lost. And I have a choice. I can live a kind of teeth-gritted life or I can live a life of joyful gratitude. And he's calling me to live that joyful gratitude life. Here's what it says later in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. Or Philippians 4, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Or in our text, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been rooted in him, being built up in him, being established in the faith just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. Teach yourself to see and to say, there's what God's doing, there's what God's doing, there's what God's doing. Call it out and say thank you. That will be so fruitful in my heart. So much of this, I'm the junior partner where I just say, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. Here's something that actually says, you get to take the initiative. What kind of life are you going to live? One of demand or one of gratitude? Because there's plenty to be thankful for, and as you put yourself there, it lines your heart up. And watch me work. Watch me bless. Let me pray for us. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and we're going to take our offering. What is God doing? In Christ, he is transforming me. What do I do? I choose partnership. I'm the junior partner. He's got to do the work, but the good news is he's constantly doing that work. Remember what he's already done. Remember the miracle. And then step into what's next. And be sure to say thank you along the way, not because it's polite, but because it builds your soul and it honors your God. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, 
for your work in our lives. I pray that we would be ones who are able to continue to walk in relationship with you by the power of your spirit because your father is our father and he's active and he's rooted us and he's, he's building us He's establishing us. May we fully cooperate with that. May we say yes, please, all the time. And Lord, may we, may we learn to see what you're doing and call it out and say thank you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for you. We love you and pray that you would continue your transforming work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.